Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we have an unusual show, uh, a very important one, I would really say, because it is an homage uh, to someone who is very beloved in the evolutionary worldview thinking community, and that's Barbara Marks Hubbard. Barbara has been a leading-edge thinker, an evolutionary thinker for, well, honestly, the past 70 years up to the day, the very minute, perhaps, that she passed on April 10th. And to speak about her life are two of her closest friends, longtime friends, Jean Houston and Hazel Henderson. A couple of words first about Barbara because we're all walking this very fine, delicate line between our sadness of her loss as well as the feeling of love and celebration that we have in our hearts for a woman who we have so cared for and have so respected for so long. And we also know in another part of our hearts that she has moved on to another space and is very much with us just not quite in the physical, the way we've known her for so long. So a few words, as I said, about Barbara before we bring our guests on today. Uh, Barbara was born in December of 1929, December 22nd, in fact, a master number. Uh, And being the Capricorn that she is, she was a real empire builder in her own way, that's for sure. She was the first vice presidential female vice presidential candidate this country has seen. I'm quite sure that's the case. And she's also been the author of many books over the course of years, as well as been a guide to so many, and the founder of the Foundation for Conscious Evolution, which also brought her international notoriety and why I say people from everywhere have loved her and continue to and appreciate all the beauty and value that she's brought forth to our beautiful planet. So with that, I want to introduce uh, and say a few words about our two guests, Jean Houston (laughs) and Hazel Henderson. We could go on for a long time also interviewing and speaking with them about their biographies. Uh, So I'm going to keep it on the shorter side here. Jean Houston, as many of you know, is an internationally renowned speaker, author, philosopher, and believes that creativity is one of our most important keys to unlocking hidden human potential and ushering in greater possibilities for one's life and has put together an entire program called Social Artistry. She has worked with Jimmy Carter, Bill and Hillary Clinton at the United Nations extensively, as well as even NASA. Our other guest is Hazel Henderson, who has been a frequent uh, guest on A Better World, and Jean has been on several times as well, including A Better World TV. And Hazel is a renowned futurist as well, evolutionary economist, green economist, and a worldwide syndicated columnist, author of award-winning Ethical Markets, Growing the Green Economy, and eight other books. She created the Ethical Markets TV series in a global distribution, and it is well-known across the world in business schools, trying to educate the younger people 
about having a sense of ethics and strong values, as well as, of course, great sensitivity to the idea of renewable energies uh, in business schools across the world. So welcome to you both, dear friends. It's such a pleasure to have you on today to talk about Barbara. And I know you Thank both you, uh, have For all known her. Sure. Hello, dear Jean. Uh, Hello, my old friend. <laughs> so good to be here. Uh, this is such a beautiful moment to bring the two of you back together again mm-hmm. after so many years. Uh, just a yes. quick word, if I could, that the three of you, Barbara, Jean, and Hazel, co-co-authored a book called The Book of Yin many moons ago, and that was the one of, of the uh, major contributions you have made as a group together. So, Jean, will you please kick us off here? Well, we gathered in 1977-78, Hazel's home, and we talked extensively, and it all got recorded about the powers of yin, about where we were in space and time. We covered time. We covered history. We covered biology. We covered so many subjects. And I just reread the book last night and today. And, you know, I was stunned. I was stunned, Hazel, about just how smart we were. Well, we smart. I know. I've just been flipping through it again and thinking, oh, my Lord, you know, it's very contemporary. It's written very 30 contemporary. Years ago. We, we, we actually saw we were we were seers of the coming issues we we watched out for the big problems that would come and indeed they came with spades on and the other thing about it was that not only was it prescient of what was to come but the the way we were exploring the depths of what it meant to be a woman the power of yin and what women could do and could be and could turn the world around in the time to come, which to some extent has happened. I don't know that we really saw the rise of the nationalist fascists. <laughs> you know, uh, we were because we were living. I don't know in if anybody saw that quite like new this. emergence. You know, you were saying yes, the, the reaction. Well, you know, I, I really think that uh, right right now um, this uh, is sort of holding a mirror up to the old values which have ruled, unfortunately, for the last 50 years of most of the globalization processes of the world economies. And that is the old greed is good model, you know, the seven deadly sins. And I can remember in the 70s when I first um, started reading what was wrong with economics, I realized, oh, my God, it's kind of an operating system that's based on the seven deadly sins. Oh, my Lord, you know, greed, acquisitiveness, competition, all of that, selfishness. And I can remember at that point being invited by many, many religious denominations um, who all kind of embraced me. And I was saying, well, hey, you know, I, I don't really belong to any of these religious traditions, but they just wanted me to repeat over and over again 
that we were operating on this old economic textbook source code, which turned out to be completely wrong from biological. All of the, the research over the last 50 years has shown that there are no such things as economic laws. Um, it, it was just a profession uh, to sort of justify certain political positions. And I used to go around saying, well, it's sort of economics is sort of politics in disguise. And the problem was that once we started globalizing on that very narrow model, all based on money, then there were, and all of the statistics like GDP, was like flying over a country at 60,000 feet. And so we did leave out, in every one of these countries, we left out communities. We left out rural areas. We left out the so-called Rust Belt communities that um, Mayor Pete Buttigieg is now picking up on yes, from indeed. the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a very useful correction, what's going on now. And as we go forward, we're going to do a form of globalization, uh, which is based in the values that we all share. Well, we globalize fairness, globalize human rights, globalize environmental protection, globalize caring about our kids' future and education. And, and so we have to have this kind of um, confrontation with ourselves. So I think it's going to be okay. Well, you know, Thankfully. That, confrontation that brings in, ourselves. by the way, I'm sorry, Jean, please go ahead. Yes, go ahead with your signature. I was just going to say that what you're saying, Hazel, really kind of circles around to an evolutionary perspective, even though it looks mm -hmm. like we fall and scrape our knees so often on our way spiraling upward uh, that Barbara was so fond of speaking about this evolutionary new birthing of humanity and that yes. it got to be global in nature because it's species in nature. And I, I kind of love talking about species, don't you guys? <laughs> yes. Well, I think we may be in a state of speciation, which, of course, when you yes. look at the, the fossil uh, record and you see the little fossil looks the same, especially on, let's say, the uh, on a... Uh, um, some kind of evolutionary background, be it in rocks or plains, and you mm -hmm. see the species, it's same old, same old, same old, same old, a thousand years, same old, and then suddenly it jumped. <laughs> and that jump yes. is speciation. Maybe that's where we are now. I mean, that we're living in a time, as we certainly saw back then, of whole system transition, you know, a condition of interactive change that affects every aspect of life as we know it. I mean, on the shadow side, uh, this includes the many problems we currently face, global warming, changes in climate, uh, disasters up and down of our interlinked financial markets, worldwide unemployment, more than billions of, several billion people, maybe at least a billion people living in deprivation, the disappearance of soils and forests, the angers and actions of the disenfranchised, the oppressive governments and corporations, the stratified economic system that rewards the most greedy among us. But in spite of these factors that threaten to destroy us, I believe there's occurring an emergence of <clears throat> patterns of possibility never before available to the Earth's people as a whole. 
I mean, yes, you know, you written. called it jump time in the book, Jean. I did, yes. And um, this is so important for us to remember that you're dead right, you know, that um, evolution, including human cultural evolution, happens, in, uh, you know, in quant- uh, uh, in a jump and uh, never in, in a straight line. And our yes, consciousness right. now of planetary in awareness is jumping as well because the planet is now teaching us directly. It's reflecting back to us our very limited awareness of how the planet actually functions and all these feedback loops. And sooner Mm -hmm. or later, all of the limited activities that were based on our limited consciousness are now being shown to us like this mirror being held up. And uh, we are learning. It's slow. Um, and we have all of the uh, old mass media that are still kind of programmed on, you know, rape, riot, and ruin is what sells newspapers, you know, and if it bleeds, it bleeds, and all of this. But the slow motion good news is there too, and that's what we try to report all the time on ethical markets, you know, that the green economy is growing all over the world. The children see it. The children are quite right to, um, you know, to leave school and to go on strike. And we're supporting the Green New Deal along with 90 members now of the uh, Congress uh, because we we now have to take that jump, just as uh, FDR did in the 30s, to uh, invest in the design uh, of the next economy. I mean, just imagine if FDR... Uh, and the original New Deal had not paid all of that money to build the infrastructure of uh, around the Colorado River, all of the pipes and the dams, the, you know, the Hoover Dam and all of that stuff, uh, Los Angeles would still be a village. Mm-hmm. And there'd be nobody living in Arizona. It would be too hot and too dry. And so now we have the next stage, which is creating the infrastructure for the new green economy that I call solar age. And that means the LED lighting, the electric buses and cars, you know, uh, building back in the inner cities, you know, green buildings and all of the stuff that's going on now, but it's not basically reported in a coherent way. You know, we just get bits and pieces of it. And nobody is, uh, until we have this wonderful young woman from New York, Alexandria (laughs) Ocasio-Cortez. And and she she pushed into saying, hey, it's a pattern. (laughs) You know, it's a whole jump. Um, It's a cultural evolution to the next stage of our technological uh, development. And we should celebrate it and uh, understand it and go with it. Isn't she about the so smartest Jean, person who has come well, along in Congress in many, many a year? Oh, she's because amazing. Because she has the wisdom of being 100 years old. I mean, she's, oh, she's amazing. like and, you yeah. and Barbara all encapsulated in this wonderful young woman who, who, who knows that given all the different tools that we have at hand that humanity is searching as never before to cooperate in so many areas that we are 
really able, I think, now to integrate inner and outer dimensions of life in ways which infuse new depth mm. in human development, new purpose and responsibility yeah. into social transformation, which she really has become the the harbinger of this new reality. Barbara yes, would have been and so you know, pleased, don't you? On that note, if I'd like to add to for that. For us all to see ourselves in it. You know, yes. all of the young uh, entrepreneurs who are building, uh, you know, solar panel companies and yes. wind power companies, everybody sees themselves in this vision, including, you know, people who want better schools and want um, health care as a right for all. It's all in this big vision it's all bundled up. With the it's green economic new and ecological at the same time. Everything. I want to bring something to bear that I don't know if the two of you know of just yet. I just happened to have seen it this morning on Amy Goodman's Democracy Now!, which is, and Jean, I think you'll have a special appreciation for it, because it is the bringing in of art into politics, live art, yeah. and um, Molly uh, Crabapple. Uh, designed with Alexandra uh, Ocasio-Cortez and another gentleman at Rutgers, a documentary filmmaker, uh, film a video that is animated that Alexandra helped to co-create. And it tells the story of the importance of the Green New Deal from the future, looking back when I was a representative. And she launches (laughs) on and she's giving a visual... And she's giving something, we know that our brains need something to hold on to, that we don't live in negation, we live in affirmation. So it gives us a real vision of what it would look like to have a green-based, renewable, energy-based future where there's also social justice as well. Yes. Anyway, I just wanted to share that with you. three major ways, I mean, the repatterning of human nature, which of course is my field, that we are really mm-hmm. beginning to realize that we are not encapsulated bags of skin dragging around a dreary ego, but that we <laughs> are we're wearing our biodegradable space-time suits with the understanding that we are part of consciousness itself, which is the nature of the whole blooming thing. Yes, so the repatterning of human nature, the regenesis of societies, which always have to break down because before, as we used to say back then in our original book, we break through. And, of course, the the release, the breakdown of the membrane between peoples, between cultures, between nations. And by understanding and working with these new forces and their evolutionary potential, provide the framework and the foundation for the kinds of training that you and I and certainly Barbara in her many different ventures are really, we have been working for Mm, And it it is happening, isn't it? And also one thing that I found rather amusing in rereading the book, uh, Barbara and I were both talking about our work in television and how important it was, and you were saying, bah, humbug, television, and you ended up doing more work in television than putting <laughs> out than any of us put together. Well, yes, that's so I, I funny. Realized, right? yeah. Yeah. Live and learn, but, right? Live and learn. <laughs> yeah, so we just we eat our to, words have too to often. Use that medium. And, you know, then, then I went on um, to write about the fact that we all live in mediocracies. It doesn't matter what form of government <laughs> we think we funny. live under. You know, yes, that the media do. now um, is so pervasive. And I was the first person who. 
kind of describe the economy um, of these mediocracies, and that is the attention economy, where at time and attention now are more important than money. Very and everybody so. yeah. is fighting for eyeballs, you know. Mm-hmm. How do we right. get people's attention? So it's a completely different kind of economy, of course. It's all part of the information age and all of mm-hmm. the new tools we have. And um, so uh, I have an article coming out in a couple of days that I had talked about uh, with Barbara on the phone, uh, I, I calling it the politics of connectivity, where it's Lovely. just another Lovely. way of saying what, what yeah. we're all saying is that, you know, we we went from uh, back in our early tribal history, you know, we've always been a global species, you know, when we trekked out of uh, Africa to populate all of Europe and Asia, and then we crossed the Bering Strait and populated the Americas. And the whole point is that the uh, Darwin was so misunderstood because we picked up the idea, which was actually from Herbert Spencer, who was a, a social scientist at the same time as Darwin, and it was him, it was Spencer, who dreamed up this poisonous phrase, the survival, survival of, of the fittest. And Darwin never meant that at all. And mm-hmm. uh, the old Victorian right. okay. elites yeah. in London mm-hmm. picked the whole thing up and decided, ah, that means that we're the fittest, and it justifies the facts of inequality and holding down wages and being mean and Social nasty. injustice. Yeah. And so Gene, the you whole were thing now weigh in what? is sort of recovering the idea that really it was always cooperation <laughs> that brought Absolutely. us to the stage we're at. And you our know, neuroscience really corroborates that now. Yes. Gene. Very, very, very much so. And by the way, yeah. talking about neuroscience... I uh, I guess you both don't know that when I was eight years old, I actually met Albert Einstein, you know, who reminds us that oh. we cannot solve the problems at the same level of consciousness that created them, which has inspired some wow. of my work. But I was taking my, we were taking my class across the river into Princeton, and here was the old guy, and I remember him being rather vague, a huge head of hair. He had on a blue sock and a red sock. <laughs> and one of our smart alley kids asked him, they said, uh, Mr. Einstein, how can we get to be as smart as you? And he said, uh, read fairy tales. We didn't like that answer at all. So another smart alley kid asked, well, Mr. Einstein, how can we get to be smarter than you? He said, uh, read more fairy tales. By which it turned out he meant the imagination. And he said that the, his imagination was his dominant quality, that he could go flying off on a light beam and come back with E equals MC squared, etc. But what he was saying, of course, was that <clears throat> when you really <clears throat> begin to think in imagination, that you imagine it, that you dream the new possibility, then things begin to happen. You stop boring God, for one thing, <laughs> and you begin, to, you begin to extend the field of, well, in terms of, uh, in my old age, I've, I've become something of a quantum physicist, in fact, which was the subject of my last book, but that mm. we don't just live in the universe, the universe lives in us, and we have qualities of entering, and this is where Barbara was pure genius, Entering yes. into the depths of ourselves and discovering all of these potentials, these understandings that then lead you to the regenesis of society. 
because as the self is repatterned, the ways in which we relate to one another shift as well to the discovery of, of, and she was such a genius at this, new styles of interpersonal connection, new ways of being in community within a global society. And the movement seems to be from the egocentric and the ethnocentric to the world-centric, a fundamental change in the nature of civilization, really compelling a passage beyond the mindset and the institutions of millennia. Do you find that happening? especially within the whole enormous shift in economics that is happening now. Oh, yes. And Barbara really inspired me tremendously. I remember when I first met Barbara, it was through the World Future Society, and she was at that point living in Lakeville, Connecticut, and she had five children and Mm -hmm. was writing a a newsletter. And Mm -hmm. I remember reading this newsletter and thinking, I have to meet this woman. So I remember she... She invited me to lunch, and here was this trim, elegant little woman, and uh, I'm sitting there with my mouth open, uh, and she's telling me, well, I'm going to invite you to a meeting we're having next week, and I've got my friend Harry Winston, you know, for the Winston jewelry, and we are going to uh, buy a Saturn rocket uh, from NASA, and we're going to do a citizen's mission to the moon. And it just blew the top off my head. And I realized that this woman just had the most soaring imagination. No, she wasn't kidding. No. And she wasn't kidding. And 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 she had this enormous courage, you know, that that not only would she think these incredibly far out ideas, but she would follow through like it was in the middle of the Cold War and everybody was afraid we were all going to be nuclear annihilated. And she trots us off to Moscow. And uh, it's, it's really scary, you know. I mean, she might have been arrested. She might have been put in prison. And she was determined to find who were the planetary citizens there in Moscow who understood our global uh, future, you know. And she brought these people to the U.S. I remember we had a meeting in Washington. And uh, these uh, Soviet citizens uh, were following her around uh, and saying, you know, Oh my gosh, miracles can happen. We she could actually have peace. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she that's was so completely fearless. But, and but that's you, one of her greatest legacies, great, great I think. She was fearless. And, yes. and you remember, she started out by her incredible appreciation of men. Remember that? Yes. And then it was, it was in our conversations we started to really talk about the powers of women. And, yes. and trying to persuade her, as she she did become persuaded, that uh, uh, there it was, uh, it was uh, the, uh, the nature of a partnership society. We did an enormous amount of work in that, in which women joined we did. in the full social agenda. And yeah. since women tend to emphasize process over product to understand the power of being as well as doing, deepening rather mm-hmm. than end goaling. And it becomes right. inevitable as a result of this partnership. Linear sequential too, solutions will evolve to the knowing that comes from seeing things in constellations rather than discrete facts. Yes, my God. And, uh, well, I remember well her two multicultural realities of the modern world. Do you world. remember that conversation that we had mm-hmm. about human beings are now swarming? 
you know, we, yes. we're all going to these meetings. This is no good. You know, the curriculum in college is 10 years out of date. So we're all swarming and going to these meetings about a socially responsible business and about global so. warming yes. and about uh, the food supply and all the things, you know, that we absolutely have to deal with. And what amazed me was that she realized that we were at a stage now between men and women where it wasn't about joining our genes for co-creating and having children. It was joining our purposes and our vocational um, desire uh, to create, to co-create the future. And uh, that's also, I think, don't you think this is really what's happening between males and females? Well, I see it more and more in my seminars and in the work that I do. Uh, But I also find that essential to this conjoined swarming consciousness is a a kind of moral and ethical growth toward empathy between individuals and nations crossing the great divide of otherness that honors the golden view of human interchange. And I think that this is really going to be what is behind the regenesis of social forms uh, in that... uh, uh, we, and, and this was something that we were all talking about and we are all still working in, and Barbara from the next place. I mean, we need models of a new order of relationship and their place in a possible society in which male and female, science and spirituality, economics and ecology, and civic participation mm-hmm. and personal growth come together in an integral and interdependent matrix for the benefit of all. And I yes. think it's a strange way. We, we, that was there in our early conversations and has continued in our life work, has it not? Definitely. Has it, has, definitely. Has it not? And it's more urgent than ever yeah, now because urgent, we yeah. realize that if we don't cooperate and co-create, we're not going to survive. We're finished. Uh, we, yeah, absolutely. So this is the future, whether we, you know, I mean, the thing is that uh, the old economic profession is still very strong. And I remember calling it the curse of individualism. You remember, Jean, remember you that, and I yes. used to go yes. to those Tarrytown conferences. That's and right. I remember <laughs> dear old Bob Schwartz saying to me, Hazel, what did you say? The curse of individualism? And I said, <laughs> yes, so you know, yes. um, it's that uh, basically individualism always has to be balanced with the love and caring of the whole and the community and caring for the global commons. And uh, even that now um, is beginning, I think, to catch on, that that we realize that we are a social species and that Margaret Thatcher was totally wrong where she kept on saying, oh, there's no such thing as society. There's only individuals. That's crazy. <laughs> she came from a very archaic epoch of English yeah, development, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, you know, what at you the end of the, the most day... Now, you, you called yourself, you were the earth child and she was the star child, wasn't that right? Right. <laughs> oh, the names yes. that you had for each other. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I would love, by the way, to hear more stories that the two of you embody because Mm -hmm. the two of you, even though Barbara has come to be known by thousands and thousands of people across the decades, the two of you, and this is why I wanted the two of you in particular to come on today's show to pay homage to Barbara because the three of you were a triumvirate, you know, a a group of (laughs) powerful feminine 
beings and embodying that energy and broadcasting it, uh, so to speak. So I would love to share with our audience some more of what it was like for the two of you and the three of you to be together and stories from that epoch. Well, we loved each other, and we yeah. still love each other. And, and we laugh yes. all the time. Global. Remember that? Laughter huh? was key to our conversation. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. And, you know, I just want to thank our dear publisher, Alex Darker, uh, the publisher of the book, because, you know, that mm-hmm. book uh, laid in a drawer in, in my house and went through two movings before I pulled it out one day after moving here to St. Augustine. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I had met this really nice guy, Alex Darker, at a conference um, up in uh, at the Omega Institute. And um, he used to be a currency trader. And he realized that, oh, oh, that wasn't what life was about. It wasn't about money. It was about purpose and the future and all of this. So he decided to start this publishing company called Cosimo Books. And so I thought, oh, well, on off chance, you know, um, I will ask him if he might want to look at the, uh, the, the transcript, really, from these meetings that we had, which had been very lovingly transcribed by Barbara Delaney, a young student who was a friend of mine at the time. So I stuck it. uh, He said, yeah, sure, I'll take a look at it. And I remember him getting on the phone and saying, Hazel, this is magnificent. He said, I'm not going to change a word of it. I'm just going to publish this. (laughs) And so that was how the book, The Power of Yin, um, came out uh, in 2007. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I did, um, I think, uh, Mitchell, that was very kind of you. You contacted Alex and told him that uh, we were going to have our reminiscence of of Barbara uh, part of the discussion of the fact that, you know, we did this book together the three of us yes so i hope yes. doc i hope well, he was on an email list. is listening yeah yes and uh, yes, we indeed. should he will have yes to it's cosimobooks.com and um the book is still there and still available and it is it's splendid i read it all last night and this morning and i was saying my God, we were good. Well, we, <laughs> we were so much present of the future. We we were there, you know, in a state of an incredible uh, fermentation of ideas, which then we all mm. went out separately and together to bring into the world. Yes, uh, and you know, we and we each in your own respective ways, which are not in identical. Our own unique ways. They yes, are truly with their own imprimatur. Oh, yes. And we were very self-critical and mutually critical. I remember, as Jean was just saying, you know, we said to Barbara, look, you're too male-identified, you know. You're under the thumb of all of these men. (laughs) And Barbara was saying, yeah, it's true, you know, that all of my role models like Sri uh, Aurobindo and uh, Teilhard de Chardin and and all of that, that all happened to be men. And then I can remember Jean saying something to me which is very valuable chain and you said look hazel um you don't need to be so angry and and i said well i am full of righteous <laughs> indignation about all these terrible things that are happening children are starving and all because we have this stupid economic source code that's based on the seven deadly sins you know that's um incentivizing all of the wrong behavior and that we need to change it to the golden rule just imagine if we had the source code for 
for our culture. Sure. Based instead of that, but on the golden rule, wouldn't things be different, you know? And so yeah. you said, yes, yes, Hazel, you're right, you're right. But you don't have to really be so angry about it. Well, you know, Hazel, so right, at Jane. that time, Margaret Mead was living with my husband and I. I don't know if you mm-hmm. knew that. Uh, maybe I did bring it up, but Margaret Mead, who had sort of mastered everything <laughs> that she pursued, yes. and there she was, not with anger, but with, huh, we have to find a new solution. Jane, you bring up these things, find a better solution. She was like her good friend and my good friend at the time, who was also Bucky Buckminster Fuller, whose last design, mm-hmm. by the way, I live in now, the house that he designed. Oh, but, really? Um, but Margaret Mead, who... Uh, would go through life with enormous chronic success. You know, she had an idea it would happen. I've only known yeah. one other person to whom this was, and that's my, my friend uh, Deepak Chopra. And I yes. said, Margaret, why are you so fortunate? She said, because I expect to be. And, and Margaret was a very good uh, synthesis of, of the best and also the funniest in male and female. And and so I was there responding because I would just have come from a long conversation with Margaret Mead, who saw only solutions and ways beyond anger. I think you didn't know that at the time. No. She, she no, lived with us, you know, often on the last six years of her life. But it was so yes, helpful you've told to me. me that. Yeah. yeah, you've told yeah. me that. Yeah, I want to let everybody that. know, just take one moment for a station identification to let everyone know that you are listening to A Better World Radio with Mitchell J. Rabin. We are on every week talking to the sung and the unsung heroes of society. We're also on New York City television every Monday night at 7 p.m. You can tune into that as well as receive our newsletter by visiting www.abetterworld.tv. That's abetterworld.tv. It's a free newsletter. Join the A Better World family and community. We'd love to have you and learn about what we're up to and how we are seeking to and working at transforming the world and helping it evolve to its next steps. Today, we are speaking with the lovely Jean Houston and Hazel Henderson, old-time friends of Barbara Marks Hubbard, to whom we are paying homage, who has recently passed, and it's as though Barbara is with us right now, speaking with us in this forum. It's so wonderful to both invoke and evoke her spirit so beautifully uh, as old-time friends of hers. So, you know, know, I'd love to – yeah, please, go ahead. Yes, I was just – as you were saying that, it was as if certain kinds of words fell into my mind out of nowhere, and I feel they are Barbara's words. And it was that we must together begin to help people, citizens, leaders, children, men and women, diversity, all the different kinds of – human experience to, uh, to to bring new mind to bear upon so about world change that in yes. this way it's hope that we can rise Beautiful. to the challenge of our times and ferry ourselves yes. across the dangerous abyss that that separates a dying era from a borning one remember it is ultimately about a borning of a new era of consciousness of society. And, yes, and that was and, Bar- one of Barbara's uh, images. That's beautiful. That, uh, our crisis is a birth, and yes. it's the birth of the yes. human species into understanding planetary 
awareness that we are in a solar system. We're on this beautiful planet. And she sure. always thought that this was the purpose of the, the space program. She decided that these NASA people, you know, all these lovely male engineers, you know, do all this wonderful work, <laughs> but they didn't have a vision. And that was why she kind of moved in on NASA and got them all to understand that their real mission in going to the moon was to get those glorious pictures, you know, of uh, our own planet. Yeah. And, you know, I have tried to to follow her footsteps by, you know, to teaching econ economists and uh, asset managers and business people and business schools that this beautiful blue planet um, it relies for its energy source on our mother star, the sun. Mm -hmm. yes. And those free photons that come every day, that's the source of energy. We don't have to dig in the ground. We don't have to build uh, stupid nuclear power plants. The, the correctly sighted nuclear power plant is 93 million miles away, and that's the sun, and it provides us yeah. with all the energy we will ever need um, for as, as long as you, we can possibly imagine. And so that now, that understanding um, is is all over African uh, villages and cities because yes, they can't afford nuclear power plants, they can't afford coal power plants, and they're all just putting up solar panels and paying for them on their cell phones. I mean, it's just like a total new world. Yeah. yeah. Jean, do you see some of that in the consulting and advising that you do across the world? Do you see this renewable energy uplift Absolutely. and uh, Absolutely. transition? Yes, I see innovations affecting tens of thousands of, of, of schools, for example, in Bangladesh, where I, I see places where the emphasis is on the education and raising the status of women in places where that hasn't been true. Uh, and I think it, one of the things that I find, because I am an educator, that in multicultural and educational work, one of the things we try to do is discover the main stories, the myths, the legends, the teaching tales that underlie mm -hmm. the cultures in which we're working. And then we use these to help weave work in human development. We are living in a time uh, of the old myths, for example, would tell of terrible droughts, terrible uh, you know, rivers going wild. But that's what's happening in our time. We are living in mm -hmm. mythic times. We've become missing links. Yeah, and I think yeah. that... I think that what has happened by living in mythic times, this is when we really can call upon people to come together in ways that were really never possible before, uh, to move comfortably between cultures, to understand and honor each other's belief systems, cultural styles, uh, rituals. Uh, we are becoming, learning to be informed on world issues in the context of different kinds of people and not just from the unique point of view of a particular nation or policy. Yes, and oh, this, definitely. This, develop, this requires a great deal of development. And what we are, I think, what Barbara, what Hazel, and in small way myself, is that we are doing is that we are, we are offering people ways of awakening ways of extension of our visionary capacities, 
ways of thinking with the stars. I mean, I think of, of uh, a good friend of mine, Brian Swim, who has presented mm-hmm. about 10 different stages of development of the universe, and we find that those same stages are implanted in the ways we ourselves development. We are, as Barbara says, let's honor her. Mm-hmm. We are cosmic beings. Yeah. We are the yeah. ones, and we're, we've been born into a time in which we are asked to rise to the challenges and become, as you yourself and Barbara said, earth children, star people, and people of the greatest transition in human history, which Barbara celebrated and devoted her entire life to. Yes, you know, and she and I often talk to each other about that, you know, because when I was a policy wonk doing science policy advice in the Congress in the 70s, and Barbara was working with the space program to try and get them to understand what their real mission of human awakening of consciousness was, uh, I remember they, uh, the Senate, uh, some of the people in the Senate asked Barbara and I to do a kind of a debate because at that point the reason that I got the earth child thing was because um, I was saying well look let's make where we are a paradise you know yes we're, we're not quite ready to be an interplanetary species because we make a mess of everything look when we do these space launches we now have all this space junk and we're kind of making a prison for ourselves with all this space junk and then uh, Barbara was saying no no we just have to keep pushing on you know, and so it was very interesting because these senators uh, wanted us to do um, a kind of a cat fight, and they thought, oh, it's going to be so much fun to see these two women um, arguing with each other. And this was this was a lunch um, in the Senate uh, <laughs> dining room, and so Barbara and I got together the night before at a friend's house, um, Byron Kennard, our good friend, um, and and uh, he had us there, and we talked all of that evening about how we were going to demonstrate a cooperative dialogue where each one of us would build on the observations of the other, and we would come to a a mutually um, really futuristic um, sort of really positive uh, conclusion. And and that's what we did. And of course, they were terribly disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) They wanted a wrestling match, and they got beauty. What do you have to say, finally, about this uh, Mitchell, what are your memories of Barbara, and how have you been influenced by Barbara's life? Oh, well, I learned about Barbara long after the two of you knew her and were so friendly. And I was driving up the coast of California and was introduced to her, was it by Ariel Ford, it may have been, uh, regarding an EEG device that I was dealing with at the time yes. and uh, helping people become self-master and sort of free from attachments and enslavements the way we all are uh, mentally and emotionally in so many ways and physically. And uh, so uh, my friend and I went to Barbara's house. Also, I had arranged to interview her. This is probably in 
2010, which seems actually not that long ago, really. And uh, she was just so gracious and invited me into her home, and we sat in the living room, and we conducted an interview for A Better World TV. And I was so impressed with some of the points that the two of you have made of her sense of poise, her wisdom, her sense of deep intuition, and her future looking. Her, the phrase we, of course, use is visionary. She cared yeah. so much about people and planets and had what I felt was an extremely coherent sense. Even though what she was talking about was primarily invisible, I felt that she was so much on her way to making it visible. And I feel these are the points that I walked away with, uh, the two of you, feeling very impressed by. A woman was incredibly internally congruent about her belief system and was broadcasting it wisely um, to many. And there was a very big openness in her sense of being and heart with all that she shared. And she listened as well as spoke. And I felt yes. that that was a real other, yes, really distinguishing yes. characteristic. Yes. Exactly. So I've yes. had her on A Better World TV. I've had her on numerous times on uh, A Better World Radio. In fact, I introduced her. I had a little bit of a plan uh, when I introduced her to what I called the Enlightened Politics Roundtable a few years back when I was on Progressive Radio Network, on which I invited one of her favorites, Dennis Kucinich, who is still representative at the time, and uh, Ralph Nader, who is a favorite of mine, and Rocky Anderson, who is the former mayor of Salt Lake City, who was running for president in 2012, remember, Uh, in in the Justice Party. And, in fact, he invited me to be on his national steering committee, and I was very close to Rocky and really helping to support his candidacy against all odds, must I say. And, Mm -hmm. uh, And I had a wish to really get Barbara infatuated with Rocky because we knew Dennis was on his way out. He had lost that election and I wanted her to kind of uh, come to connect with another deep, meaningful humanitarian in the world of politics. And that was Rocky as far as I was concerned. And so I did this round table with these wonderful people and at the end of the round table, Barbara turned to Rocky and said, Rocky, I love you. I want to get to know you better and better. So these were just some of the moments that I shared with Barbara over the course of time uh, that were particularly meaningful to me. That's so nice. You know, uh, uh, that reminds me, now our friend Marianne Williamson is uh, thrown her ass in the ring And she was on the... The tip of my tongue, yes. She's oh, now running. Yes, it's yes. And I God think it, I think it's really you know we were, we have our little, um, our steering committee meetings here at Ethical Markets uh, once a month. I mean by phone, of course. And um, Vicky Robin is one of our group. You know who wrote the book Your Money or Your Life. And at age mm-hmm. seventy five, she's now on the cover of Money Magazine and all the rest of it. You know oh, she has a following of half a million people. And uh, she was saying. 
how important it was uh, for us all to at least send a couple of bucks to Marianne Williamson's campaign, um, just because it's so important for her voice, because she also carries this evolutionary code and Very expresses much so. it yes. so Very beautifully. True. Yes, and I think about Marianne, passionate, subtle, brilliant. She gives us from her wealth of experience, a, a blueprint and an activist pattern and way of being and doing that offers us ways of making real, practical, human-based whole system change. Don't, don't, yes. don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. In fact, yes. you know, uh, Barbara, when Marianne ran for Congress in was it Southern California, she had gone to uh, Salt Lake City to meet with Rocky. And I don't know this for sure, but I think it may have happened uh, after I introduced Barbara to Rocky, and she was no doubt Barbara speaking with Marianne and said something like, you've got to meet this man because he will give you sound (laughs) guidance. (laughs) So I was always really pleased behind the scenes about that, you know, Uh. and I'm so pleased that Marianne is running for all the reasons the two of you just shared. We need that ray of light in the space. And I've got to say, I interviewed John Hagelin, a PhD quantum physicist and string theorist from Harvard who taught at Maharishi Mahesh Yogi University and was involved in the formation of the Natural Law Party back in 1992. And Deepak was a big supporter of, in fact, the first time I met Deepak uh, at a a John Hagelin event. And I was also just crazy about him, and I interviewed him several times and was very much behind his candidacy back in those years in the 90s up through 2000. And uh, he just was another winner, and he said to me, he said, why don't you run against Hillary Clinton for Senate in New York State? Very funny, John. No, I didn't want to do that. I said, but I wouldn't mind being an advisor of you when you win the White House. But what he said was, I'm not going to win, but what I can do is influence policy in both parties and move them toward intelligent, thoughtful legislation. And I yes, thought that was a very that's important, very humbling I think Marianne point. can... Yeah can uh, carry that. Now, one of the things that yes, Vicky exactly. has done that we're all pushing and love your help with, uh, she decided that it was important for her to write an article, which she's done, an op-ed. I think she sent it to the Seattle, whatever the newspaper is there. But we want to get it out there. And this was the idea that there's so many wonderful candidates on the, Repo- on the Democrat mm-hmm. side now. All of them bring something incredibly important to the table. Who, whoever they are, They're all great. And she said, could we possibly get them to run as a cabinet so that when Mm. they get on that stage, instead of picking each other to pieces and all of that horrible stuff like happened with the Republican thing, name calling and all that, instead build on each other's statements and say, gosh, you know, this means that you would make a wonderful secretary of energy or, you know, and compliment each other. And and make the point, have them all make the point that, look, it doesn't really matter which one of us is actually heading up the top of the ticket or the vice 
presidency, we are going to be a cabinet. And by the time we get there, uh, we'll be able to move forward, you know, um, with major agreements and cooperation. That is brilliant, Get off Hazel. this awful back Truly. and forth. So uh, let, Form a let's true try coalition. To yeah, so so this would be basically um, to get this word out that all of these Democratic candidates, instead of arguing with each other and about who's the best at going up against Trump and all that, that's all old stuff. I mean, we yes, don't need two old white males, um, you know, fisticuffs. <laughs> we don't need that anymore. Yeah. What What we really need is all of these young voices that are now there um, all um, singing in concert about the Green New Deal, the way forward, that we, of course, we are a planetary species, and if we get our act together and get, uh, be, you know, get with the golden rule, we may soon be fit to be an interplanetary species. We're Indeed. not quite mature enough yet, but at least we can learn how to, to um, function on the planet and within the biosphere in a more responsible way. So let, let's see if Jean, we can push that idea. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I Hazel. think that's Jean, superb. Jean, thoughts yes. about that? Yes, because you see, this is part of the new modes of emergence, knowing that we are in a state of radical emergence as we engage in transforming our local and our global communities with open arms, embracing this paradigm shift because what you're talking about, and I think what Marianne is doing beautifully in her new ideas, is this huge shift. And it means that we then deepen into what we are, what we stand for, our universal values, our growing awareness of the immensity that we contain and how it can be utilized in the world, and discovering ways of making the changes in the world, the world of our dreams, that are not only we can, that must emerge if we're not to die out both as species and climate, which is frankly what we're heading to more. This Wouldn't, means that we yes. come to a commitment to both being and doing, expanding our being so that mm. we can go about the great work of doing and bringing new ways of being in self and culture and society and world that up to now may have seemed more mythic than real. We are, and this is what I think Marianne talks about so beautifully, we are contemporary pioneers activating, developing our capacities, tapping into the root and ground of our existence, uh, consciousness itself or the universe that lies within us. So, and so I'm, let's uh, imagine, let's all vision, let, let's you. imagine now that imagine we are looking, now, yes. at, looking mm. at the television, we're looking at the television of the primary debate, and there's the 15 <laughs> Democratic candidates yep. all reinforcing each other and linking arms. Imagine that. Let's imagine that. Imagine. That could happen. Exactly. Yeah. Wouldn't that change the game? The great unity. And in honor of and in homage to our dear Barbara Marks Hubbard, that image, Hazel, is searing across the minds of the listeners right now because I think of all things that we have shared, which have been so abundant and, and loving here in today's roundtable, that image of a world going forward looking like that, Linked arms is sort of the perfect image and metaphor for what Barbara very much stood for in in our very important contemporary times. 
So I yes. I want to thank you both for for all that you have contributed today. I want to also mention a comment you made to me recently, Hazel, of not left, not right, forward. And in the case yes, of right. Barbara, not left, this, not right, upward. <laughs> this was the this was the, the Green Party in Germany uh, when they started, and yes. they were being accused of being socialists and all that nonsense from the last century. They said, "We yes. are neither left nor right; we are ahead." And uh, that's exactly. what is happening, I think, with the Green New Deal. We're getting that word across. We are indeed. That's right. Thank so you so I would much love if you would both schedule. just say one last word exactly while I have the, the deep pleasure of having you both on together. And God, when was the last time the two of you spoke? Gosh, we were on the phone about six months ago, and I was we saying, my beloved Jean, I need you mm-hmm. to come, and I want to do television with you. And you promised, okay. Jean, that you will I make some I'll time. I'll come. I'll come. Invite oh, me again. Good. I'll figure it okay. out. Okay. Okay, good. Wonderful. That's <laughs> wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that the two of you remain in regular contact. That's just oh, wonderful. Yeah. Hazel, would you and then Jean just say a few uh, final words, uh, so to speak, just final for this moment, uh, in in homage and honor of Barbara? Barbara Marks Hubbard, who Buckminster Fuller said was the most knowledgeable human he had ever met. And I, uh, I, she was such an inspiration to me. And now, you know, she was the last few years of her life. Uh, she was trotting around on planes and all of this. And uh, I was just saying, soon she will be virtual and she will be global. And now Barbara has gone virtual and she is everywhere <laughs> and she's with us right now. <laughs> That's I think beautiful, that's Hazel. Thank you so I, much. I'm, rem, I'm reminded Jean. of I'm reminded of several years ago. Barbara had been on all those planes and running around and everywhere, everywhere you looked, Barbara was there. And mm. we were sitting down, waiting for us in a big conference, waiting for our time to give our speeches. And she said to me, "I am so tired. I am so tired. Hold oh. on to me." Yes. So I grasped hands with her, and I held on, and I was actually feeling pretty chipper. So I said, just receive, receive energies, receive energies, receive the energy of so much love that is coming to you from all over. Receive the energies of of evolution, bringing to you even greater levels of complexity, diversity, connectivity, connect, connect, connect. She said, that's what I need, connectivity. Yes. Yeah. And I think that oh. she's out wherever she is, beyond the stars, and she is sending connectivity to all of us now. Yes. Holding we hands, love Barbara. Re-energizing us. We love you, Barbara. <laughs> That's great, Jean. Thank you so much. Well, thank you both so much for being on today with me to talk about one of our favorite people and to pay homage to her and her legacy, which uh, thank we you, feel Mitchell. moving through us. Thank you so day. much, Mitchell. You do such a beautiful job bringing all of us together. Thank you so much. God bless. And thank you, Barbara. Bye. (laughs) And thank you, Barbara, indeed. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Thank you so much for joining us today for today's uh, show, our roundtable. 
in honor of our dear Barbara Marks Hubbard. We love you wherever you are or everywhere you are, I should really say. It's been a true pleasure to honor you and celebrate your life and your legacy as it continues, as though you were in Colorado or Santa Barbara right now as we speak. Uh, but we know you're in the virtual multidimensional world and we appreciate your presence. Uh, no matter what form it takes. So with that said, I want to just thank all of you for tuning in and listening today. We have people listening from all over the planet, which is appropriate for a better world, in fact. And just to remind you, you can go to our website, www.abetterworld.tv. Under Radio Archive is our long list of interviews, in fact, with Hazel and with Jean and with Barbara uh, going back many, many years. And we also have a newsletter, a free newsletter. Please sign up and become part of a better world family and community. Uh, remember that we are also a nonprofit 501c3, so any donations to us is always appreciated, as well as your comments and recommendations at mjr at abetterworld.net. That's mjr at abetterworld.net, my direct email address. Or if you are interested in any of our services, healing, coaching, consulting, biofeedback, uh, nutrients, etc., feel free to contact us there as well. And at 212-420-0800, 212-420-0800. And thanks again for joining. I look forward to seeing you all next week. 